0: Mark chapter number nine, and we'll be looking at verses thirty to thirty to forty one this morning talking about what greatness looks like in the kingdom of god, and as everybody 's getting settled, um, yeah so tonight really would uh, just encourage you all to be here because um, it's it's a significant financial investment up front, and since uh, we want to be make sure that we are being transparent and being good stewards. Of all that God has given to us, we want to make sure that uh, just encourage you to be here. Be here at 5 o'clock. We'll let you know when you get here where the venue will be, whether it be up here or downstairs. Um, but it'll be somewhere in this building. So if you show up in the parking lot, we will make sure you get to where you need to be. It's one of the many free services we offer here at Arapahoe Road. So would you stand as we, as we honor His Word and read from His Word, Mark chapter 9, again beginning in verse 30 and going to verse 41. but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So it seems that too many of us preachers have tried to baptize the American dream and to appropriate it into the, how they believe that God operates. Um, so recently I came across an inspirational inspirational. Talk by the, um, by, he's a talk show host and he's also the uh, the host of Family Feud. You may know him as Steve Harvey. And one of the things he said, he, ha- he has a number of these talks floating around. And man, he knows he knows how to really grip an audience. I wish I had that. He just really knows how to how to do that. And one of the things that he um, he talked about was invoking God to bless you to be able to accomplish your dreams. And in one talk, he quoted from James 4.2, you have not because you ask not. And so what he's talking about is, he says he said this, that some of y'all don't have the life of your dreams because you haven't asked God for it. Now, that is a very compelling message. I think all of us, especially as when we were younger, hopefully we still have some dreams as we get older, but especially when we were younger, and you get out of college, and you, all of a sudden, you're, the future is in front of you, and you've got a whole lot more in the windshield than you do in the rearview mirror, and you're just thinking, wow, and you have all of these plans of how you're going to change the world, and how you're going to make an impact. That's the word, make an impact. And I would say that that is not a necessarily a bad ambition to have as long as you have the right motives. Is God there waiting for you to tell him what your dreams are so that he can fulfill them? Or does he say that he, then does he have something better for you? So when we read this passage of scripture, this passage of scripture is very countercultural to us. If you're going to be first, you need to be last. If you're going to be great, you need to be servant of all. If someone outside of your camp is doing something great, don't be jealous. And, and Jesus is coming and having to bring them along by themselves to make sure that, they are, that they're digging in. There's no religious leaders. There's no crowds. There's no family. There's no friends. It's just Jesus and the disciples. And you know, Jesus is going to do that for you. And in fact, I would encourage you to make sure that you are spending time alone with him not just going about doing your thing and hoping God will bless you after the fact, but I hope that you are submitting yourself to him and and, and looking to him as to what he would have for you rather than you just going on and then continually being frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. Well, when you're fighting against God as far as the life that he gave you, you're gonna be frustrated. But when you're leaning in and asking him, okay, Lord, what, what do you have for me? And wherever you have for me, I'll go. That's what he's calling me to do. So this is not just a theoretical principle that Jesus gave and moved on. Jesus exemplified it. And he exemplified it right at the very beginning by telling him what was going to be happening to him. So he's not going to be great and, and having all the, all the great stuff and not have to go through anything, but then all of a sudden turning around and telling his followers, now you've got to suffer. I'm not, but you're going to. No, he actually, he actually led the way. Okay, I'm a Star Wars guy. For for better or for worse and you know, Disney Plus has this thing on called The Mandalorian which I have gotten to be very much uh, very much into I'm very much enjoying this and one of the things about the Mandalorians is that they have this creed that they go by. And, and and they stick with it. I mean, they're one of those guys where they just they stick with this creed, and whenever they're talking amongst each other, especially when uh, someone's talking with the leader and they're going back and forth and they're trying to figure out the right way to go based upon this creed, they always respond to each other by saying, "This is the way." And then the other responds, "This is the way." For us, there is a way. But the way is more than just a creed. It's not less. But it's more than just a creed. Jesus is the way. And so when Jesus leads that way, by the Holy Spirit, he comes. Some of you were in John 14 this morning, and you were talking about the Holy Spirit, right? You can't talk about the Holy Spirit behind his back. It's impossible. He's everywhere. But you're talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is there as the Spirit of Christ reigning and ruling and working in you, kicking out all the stuff that doesn't belong so that Christ may rule full and free. So it's not just a way that we are trying in our own strength to follow. The Holy Spirit is there, the way in us to take us on the way before us that we need to be moving on for. So when we're looking at this passage, again, very countercultural some of you you have may have been working so hard to try to get to the top and Jesus is saying this is what the top is as far as the kingdom of god is concerned in verses 30 to 32 we talk about number 1 about how the glory comes by way of the cross there is no other way but by the cross and when we look at this, look at, again, in verse 30, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and again, he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Because every so often, I come across somebody that will say, I'm really not about the teachings. I'm really not about doctrinal stuff. I'm just about, I, want, I just want to live right. I just want to do the right thing. Trevin Wax in his book The Thrill of Orthodoxy which almost sounds like a mo- oxymoron, right? The Thrill of Orthodoxy quotes from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow A common thought among Christians The gospel of the golden rule the new commandment given to men thinking the deed and not the creed would help us in our utmost need In other words why spend all this time in this book and just talking about it? Right? Well, we need to be out doing something and I would say Yes, but remember in James where he says you need to be not just hearers of the Word, but doers as well? Uh, But that doesn't cancel out the hearer's part. You still got to hear because you don't know what to do unless you hear what Jesus is saying about what to do. You don't know who to do it for unless you're taught from the Word who Jesus is and what he's done. That's why we encourage everybody to be in the Word every single day, to be in church every single week, to make sure that you are making that part of the rhythm of your life. It's real easy to get out of that. And so when we're looking at this, uh, and every so often I get cards, well-meaning cards, and uh, if you've sent this to me, I don't remember. But this is not a shot over the bow, but I've gotten so much over 30 years, I really don't know how to take it, so I'm just going to say it. So if every so often somebody gives me a card, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day, right? So, but we, we preachers have value, right? I know you would rather hear a sermon, I know you'd rather see a sermon, but how are you going to know what to do? unless you read the word, unless you hear the word, unless you apply the word, and unless you absorb the word. So Trevin goes on, he says, the scriptures won't let me divorce right conf- confession from right conduct. So Jesus was not simply just, tell- just modeling for them, and they were just trying to figure it out as they went along. Jesus pulled them aside, taught them stuff, taught them truth, He did that in Acts 1, 1 to 3. He did that over and over where he pulled them aside for 40 days, showing them many proofs about himself, showing him the wounds, many proofs about himself, and teaching them about the kingdom of God. They were going to need to have that on the bookshelves of their mind so they could pull it down and refer to it by the Holy Spirit. But what's he teaching them here? A very countercultural thing, as we mentioned earlier. For he was teaching his disciples, saying, uh, middle of verse 31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, they will rise. Now, you have a 50 50 shot on this. If you haven't been following along in Mark, you've got a 50 50 shot on this answer. Is this the first time that Jesus has said this? Yes or no? No, correct. That's right. See, if you said yes, I understand. I understand. 50 50 shot. But. No, this is not the first time that he has said this. In fact, he has said this over and over again. In fact, he said it one time to such effect that when Peter pulled him aside saying, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. Get thee behind me. Didn't call him Peter. Didn't call him Simon. Didn't call him, hey, you. Didn't call him buddy. He called him. That'll leave an impression. (laughs) That'll leave an impression, which is why, but they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. Well, they saw what happened to Peter. I'm not going to put myself in that spot again. I'm not going to get run over in front of a lot of people. That's a lot. And, and it's, it's, totally, it's totally understandable. But what Jesus is doing is saying he's setting up something in their minds. He's setting up a paradigm in their minds. I am king of kings and lord of lords. You saw me, at least Peter, James, and John did, you saw me on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know who I am. I am the king of glory. I am the glorious one. I am the Messiah. I am the second person of the Trinity. And what's going to happen? I'm going to be delivered over, and I'm going to be killed. What he didn't say in here, but he said in parallel passages is, and one of you is going to deny me, and one of you is going to betray me. This is our king. But he's setting up this. This is greatness in the kingdom of God. Sacrifice. A removal of self. And so the, the next two things that we're looking at, these next two episodes, um, now he's he's putting the rubber to the road. He's taking the he's taking the car out of the garage and putting it out on the highway, so on. This is what this is going to look like in, in everyday life. But this was not the way that it went in that culture. Martin Luther talked about the theology of the cross versus the theology of glory. The theology of glory relies upon and emphasizes human abilities. And human reason, it's a belief that humanity is not all that sinful and deprived and they can amount to something on their own. But the theology of the cross refers to the inability of individuals to save themselves and our need for Jesus every single step of the way. So we see why the disciples, they began to associate Jesus as a political victor. And that's what is going on in verses 33 to 37. Why in the world they're having this conversation to begin with. So let's go there because Jesus is setting up for them the way, a way of sacrifice of selflessness, not of personal or even political glory. Look at verses 33 to 37, and we'll see the second point here, which is that being first comes by way of being last. So look at verse 33. It says, when they came to Capernaum and he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Now there's been times where Jesus has already known what has been going on, especially like in the mind of the Pharisees, because when he was getting ready to heal somebody on the Sabbath, the Pharisees were over there and they he knew what they were thinking. They were talking amongst themselves. Why does this guy, and you know, he was talking about how he could forgive sins? Who does this guy think he is to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. He knew what they were thinking. So he knew it he knows what's going on with them there, but he's asked it's just like when God was in the Garden of Eden with Adam. And do you, you may remember from that scene where Adam and Eve both decide to listen to a talking snake over the living God. They go and run and hide. So God comes walking in the cool of the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? Now, did God not know where Adam was? Well, of course God knew where Adam was. That's part of his nature. He knows everything. He knows all things, and so when God is is coming along and He's saying, "You know, Adam, where are you?" He wanted to He wanted Adam to acknowledge where Adam was. And so when God comes along and, he, and Jesus is coming along, second person of the Trinity, what were you discussing on the way? He would, He wanted to see and show them. Are you going to own up to what you were saying? I already know what you're saying. A word here. Every so often we 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 spend time being afraid to confess our sin before the Lord. I can't voice it. He already knows. In fact, he was there when you committed it. He was there when you thought it. He was there when you said it. And yet he sent his son to rescue you from sins like that because that sin came from a sinful heart that needed to be redeemed, that needed to be rescued. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh my word! How how gracious is our God? Don't ever take that for granted, as, as it's a blank check. It cost Him a great deal to pay for your sin. So, but we're back here and we look here. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Now, now, what is going on here? Because I, I, I'm trying to put myself in this position, and you know we don't we don't know we don't know what they were thinking, because Jesus goes right into teaching. But I I can kind of surmise a couple of things. Were they trying to make plans for when Jesus was ultimately led over and, you know, who was going to run the business and take over the shop and get the keys to the car? I mean, who was going to do that? I know they didn't have cars back then. Don't talk to me afterwards about that. I know they didn't have cars back then. But who was going to run the store? And of course, the, 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 the three leading candidates were Peter, James, and John. Why? Because they went up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But yet every time Peter's mentioned, he's always the head. So Peter was probably thinking, well, it's going to be me, guys. You might as well just quit talking about it. You, we've done, we were there the whole time with you. Why do you think it's you? Well, because, you know, and and suddenly they're starting to chatter, Now, if Peter had a voice like me who can't whisper, I never could get away from saying anything in school, in class, because I could not, could not whisper. Couldn't get away with anything at the house. I could not whisper. But there were some who were trying to whisper. But even if you're an expert whisperer, the Lord's still going to hear what you're saying. The Lord already knows the motives of your heart. And the motives of their heart were, They wanted to find out who was the greatest. That was part of the culture back then. Because every time they would get into a conversation around the table or wherever they were, they would begin to have a conversation and is this person greater or is this person greater? We We do it now. If you watch basketball, who's the greatest? Is it Michael or LeBron? Well they're wrong it was Kareem. I'm just saying. We're just going to we're just going to put that put that out. Jokic is coming up right after him. But here, you know, it's Kareem. but you see we have these conversations. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest football player? Who's the greatest this? Who's the greatest president? Who's the worst president? You know, we have fun with these with these things. But it was real serious business back then. And now Jesus comes along and blows up that cultural mindset. He is saying in verse 35, and he sat down, and that's what rabbis do. Now, when a rabbi sits down, it is serious business. When a rabbi gets into teaching mode, they're sitting down. Uh-oh, okay, we better sit down. This time we're going to be quiet, and we're going to listen. And he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. In Sunday school, did you cover John 13 this morning as well, or was it John 14? Okay, last week you. See, I'm not a math major, but I bet last week you covered John 13, where Jesus is was washing his washing the feet, and Peter comes along and he's like, uh, "Wait, well, hey, uh, don't just wash my feet. Those feet were disgusting back then, because remember there wasn't a, a big sanitation movement there. I mean, when the when the when the camels and the horses and the donkeys had to do their business." They didn't pull off to the rest area. They just did their business. And so a lot of times those feet represented what that business was all about. And so whoever was washing the feet was the lowest of the low. And Jesus, all of a sudden, he pulls his robe off and he ties this around his waist and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Peter, not getting it, said, well, the rest of my body's dirty too, Lord. You know, why are you stopping there? You've completely missed the point. This is how you are to be with each other, serving each other building each other up, encouraging each other, not being jealous for somebody else's success, but you're glad that God has been moving and working in them. Not jealous for another church, but you're glad that God is moving and working in them. Do you see? We are to come together. We are to be we, we are to be ones who are servants. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And so, when we look at this, we have to realize that in Aramaic, the word for child and the word for servant is the same root. Now, children, they're adorable, right? Right, Most of them, right? but, but, But children... Children, no, really, the children are adorable. And especially if you're the grandparent of a grandchild, I've seen how you all are. You all, you all, are, you just turn into different people. I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see. It is wonderful to see how you are. And those grandchildren, they can't do anything wrong. You know? Unless they stay too long, but for the most part, you know, they can't do anything wrong. I'm just, I'm, okay. But we look at children, and when we look at children, we don't look at children saying, okay, now, if, if if you help me here, then you're going to be able to help my status there. If you do this, if you get, they don't have any money, they don't have any fame, by and large, they don't have anything that they can offer. But we are still to receive them, and that's how we are to treat everybody. We don't look at other people based upon, mm, oh, they're they're a guest this morning, and they look like they've got some means, I bet they're good tithers, or or, or I bet there's this, that, that has been said by, by preachers that I have known and we have not been friends for very long after that because I just, I don't, but there are, there are things where people look at each other and they measure them up and they're like, I wonder what he could do for me. I wonder how they could help me. I bet you if I took this class with this professor then this would be able to help me get on the fast track to places. Do you see what can happen? And that can happen even in church. And we've got to not treat each other that way. We've got to look at each other as image bearers of God and receive one another as Jesus has told us to receive this child. Not with any strings. Not with any ulterior motives. But just because God loves them and we do too. And we want to see them come to know the Lord. And we want to see them around the marriage supper of the Lamb. And to be able to hang out at that family reunion for all of eternity that's what that's what has to happen. And so we must be sure that we're receiving each other this way. Again, that is a that was a very countercultural thing back then. That just blew up the whole cultural mindset then. But that for you might be something very different. And I hope that by the Holy Spirit he's changing your hearts and minds to see what God has for you and what he's done for you. And looking at verses 38 to 41, we we see that the uh the disciples start talking again and they don't put themselves in a very good light. But number three, we look at this, significance comes by way of doing anything in his name, no matter how quote unquote insignificant. Because God has gifted all of us with something. He's given all of us a spiritual gift. And he's given it to us, as 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, in a specific proportion. And for him to give us something and for us to not use it. I mean, just think of when you've given gifts to someone, and you find out that they haven't even opened the box. I mean, what does that do to you? Well, he's given you something. And that something is to be able to not only strengthen you in the faith, but to help strengthen others in the faith so the church can be bolstered and the church can make a, a... a difference in the world and be the conscience of the culture, and we're not doing that in our own way? Well, what we don't do in our way affects everybody else in their way. So we're all in this together moving forward, but so another thing that may stop us is that we may be aware of our gifts, but think that they're insignificant. Or, or or, thinking that, well, you know, I do, all, I do these things for the Lord, but in comparison to what somebody else is doing, boy, it's, it's nothing compared to this. And so what does Jesus use? Well, what Jesus uses is this in verse 41. Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. That's one of the easiest things that you can do is to give somebody a cup of water. And we think, well, that's insignificant. I want to preach to 100,000 people somewhere. But that, if you're not faithful with little, there is that old song, and I don't know, I can't remember the whole thing. And I, I got this problem about these songs running through my head at just really inopportune times because I can't, all, I can't always finish them, but I remember one of them. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. I did it. How about that? so But little is much when God is in it. If you're faithful with little, God will put you faithful with much. But you've got to be careful with that. Well, oh, I want to be faithful with much, so all right, I'll be faithful with little. But you're still using your own selfish motives to get to the big stuff. No, just be faithful with what you have. Be faithful with where you are. Be faithful with what he has given to you. Bloom where you're planted. Go where he's called you to go instead of looking at somebody else, right? And so you look at this. So what was the issue? Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now, I love, I love my grandmother, but my grandmother was convinced that there would only be southern Baptists in heaven. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. She was in a, she she was and she was convinced that if you were outside of that denomination, that she would not see you in heaven. So the 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 goal came to be. What I was going to we're going to convert people to become Baptists. So I don't know, and some of you you may be there as well. I mean, we're Baptists for a reason. We we have those convictions, of course, about some things. But are we going to be to such a degree that we don't believe that God is? Saving and moving and working outside of our camp and outside of our group of people i 'll give you a minute no it 's hard right you know because we we have these strong convictions, and of course we feel like this is right for us, and of course, but you know there there is the, there's these things that Al Mohler wrote an article called Theological Triage, and what he was talking about is that there's first tier, second tier, third tier issues. The first tier issues is all about who Jesus is. and Do you believe that he, you know, he rose from the dead? Do you believe that he is Savior and Lord? Do you believe that when he died on the cross, he died for your sins? Do you believe in the authority of the Scriptures? Do you, and there's certain things that are first tier issues, and there's others where you can be brothers and sisters with them, but maybe not necessarily in that conviction agree with them. What I'm saying to you is this is that Jesus is helping us here with some of that. It says this, but Jesus says do not stop him. Why? For no one who does a mighty work and what's that prepositional phrase there? Made you look, right? Okay, prepositional phrase. Who who does a mighty work in my name. In the name of Jesus. Not in the name of the SBC or not in the name of the PCA or not in the name of the, in my name, in the name of Jesus. And so we'll be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. In other words, they're not doing something wrong. If they're doing something in my name and and I approve of it, don't you disapprove of it just because they're not in your camp. See what they're doing. Evaluate what they're doing on their own merits and by their own motives. Now, and and we've got to see this, for the one who is not against us is for us. Well, there's a lot of application there, okay? So there may be someone that's outside of your camp that's all for Jesus. They're brothers and sisters. But here's the thing, there's no neutrality. You're either against him or you're for him. You're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ, that you're, you're either going to heaven, going to hell. He is either your Lord or he's not. I think one of the things that has really harmed us is this uh, talking about a carnal Christianity. Where we're talking about people that are living in the flesh, not going to church, not engaging in the word. They made a decision a long time ago. But they're just fleshly Christians. You will not... And I think that's a misinterpretation and a misappropriation of what's being said in Second Corinthians. That's a misappropriation. We're either with him or we're not. And so when we look at this, for the one who is not against us is for us. And then he talks about, truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. So there, was a, there was a pastor that uh, was at the church that I, I went to seminary back in the in the late 90s and i got a music degree and i went to this little church pleasureville baptist church pleasureville kentucky doesn't that sound lovely i mean it's better than miserableville no pleasureville right pleasureville kentucky little little town uh little town of about 800 people if any of you know who wendell Berry is he just lives right up the road just it's just a wonderful wonderful area um but So I served there for three years, and so I've, I've kept a lot of those relationships uh, there over the years. And so there was a guy soon after I left, and a guy named Jerry, and he took over as pastor. He came down from Ohio, and he took over as pastor, and he had been at his church for 20 years. And, so, and, and he was used to four weeks vacation. Well, he gets to Pleasureville, and Pleasureville's like, no, Pleasureville's so great, you only need one week vacation. I don't know if that was the rationale or not, but they said, you know, we have one week vacation. And Jerry, I I love Jerry because he had a backbone like an oak tree. It was fantastic. And what he said to them was, look, I'm working for the same boss. I'm just working for a different branch. I I think four weeks would be good. And you know what they did? They gave it to him. But I, I never forgot that. So when I moved from Kentucky to Colorado, I mean, that was a long way. That's, you know, we're we're talking 18, 1,900 miles or 1,100 miles about that to mom and dad's. But you were talking a lot of miles, same branch or different branch, same, same God who is overall. So I, I, I love that. And so that's what we've got to look at is that, you know, there's other churches that may be doing things or maybe other churches that have other things. But if, if they're all in on Jesus, it's not a competition. We, we should, when they, cause it's like, I, I've never been in the business world, but I do understand that if you have a company and one branch is doing well, doesn't it benefit the other branches? I'm asking. Does it benefit the other branches? Yeah. So usually it, it does. So if one branch is doing well for the kingdom, we should be grateful for that rather than, I wish our branch was doing like that. We've got to be real careful about how we operate In all of this, God has always called us to support one another and to build up one another, not to simply have little silos of this is how I want it. No, we are to do this. And so I I read a passage at the very beginning. It took a little break from Proverbs. and I, I read this little passage, but Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. He's not saying don't be ambitious. Be ambitious for the kingdom. Lord, what are you going to do today? And how are you going to use me today? I'm all in, whatever it is. That's ambition. But a selfish ambition is, Lord, how are you going to build me up? How are you going to make me look good? How are you going to fatten my account? How are you going to make me look good in front of a lot of other people? Selfish ambition. You've got to be careful about that, but he keeps going. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We all like to be thought so well of. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Even them, yes. But not them. No, them too. Value Others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Because even the most menial task by any follower of Jesus with the aim of exalting Christ in worship will receive that due reward, whether it's a cup of cold water, whatever it may be. Our aim is to connect all people to the truth and hope in Jesus, and sometimes it is going to look really boring. A lot of you got bylaw changes that we are thinking about doing. Isn't that exciting? Bylaw changes, wow! But those bylaw changes will be able to help us in that mission. So that's why we do what we do because those are our day-to-day operating manu- day-to-day operating principles that we operate by. But also today, we've been working through Sunday school and church to help you to connect all, be connected to the truth and hope in Jesus but now you're getting ready to leave and you're going to find yourself in a lot of different environments some of those environments you'll walk into the room and people will be like oh my goodness I'm so glad you're here now we'll be able to get some things done and get some things answered yes and what you're going to do and if you're in that spot well one man God bless you if you're in that spot because that means that you've garnered some trust that's good be careful what's going on in your heart Because what you're going to have happen in your heart is, oh, look how great I am. All right. Yes. I love being Superman. Coming in to save the day. Mighty Mouse, right? Here I am to save the day. Uh, Yes. But I want you to remember what you heard this morning. Not because I'm of any count, but I want you to hear what what Jesus has said. You're serving them. You're serving Jesus by serving them. You are helping them. You are being a witness, what we call in the marketplace, in the workplace. You're being a witness that Jesus has placed you there so you can exemplify what it means not to be first, but even in that firstness in your position and respect, you'll be serving them. Now, you may walk in a room, and you may walk in, and you may be that guy who is like, oh, no, they're here, Right? I sometimes feel that as a pastor whenever I walk into a room and they find out I'm a pastor. Boy, the room just cools. It really does. It's fun. But that's part of it, and that's okay. But if you walk in the room and then all of a sudden people look at you and you're like, well, okay. You're not much. I want you to remember what you heard this morning. And what you've heard this morning is this, is that Jesus Christ came to rescue you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he came to rescue you from your sin, and he did it. And you're his. And nobody else can put an identity upon you that's going to stick. His will. And so you operate in that way. You operate as if you're a child of God. And you're going to serve them in whatever capacity you are. You may be still learning whatever it is you're trying to learn. That's why people, when they walk in the room, they're like, oh, no, here he is. I've been there. It's not fun. But I've got to remember that my eyes aren't being put, put on them. My eyes have to be stuck on him, and I operate from that. Wherever you may find yourself. But some of you, you're like, well, you're talking about being a follower of Jesus and this first being last and last being first business. I I don't think anything about that. Well, one day you'll see, but I want you to see now, is that when when you see a cross, don't just think of it as a piece of furniture or just simply a piece of jewelry. I want you to be reminded of how valuable and how much he loves you even as you shake your fist at him. You're either for him or against him. He said that. So this morning, what I pray is that none of you would walk out of here not for him. Well, it's been a while since I've been around, been around all this stuff. Today's the morning that you can change that. Yeah, but what's that going to mean? He'll help you every step of the way. He's got you. I pray that we would all trust in Christ who gave himself for us, who became last, who became nothing so that we might become something in him. Repent of those sins that you've committed. Repent of the sin that is engulfing your heart. Trust Christ. Trust Christ alone. Don't just rely on the decision you made a long time ago. This is a day-to-day-to-day deal where we are following him every step of the way, every hour, every minute, every second. Help us, Lord, as we do what you've called us to do but are empowered by you. You didn't just give us an example to look at and say that's nice. Lord, you gave us an example, and then you came to live in us. You came to change us. You came to transform us. You came to rescue us. You came to save us so that we might live for him. And I pray, Father, that as we move forward in what you've called us to do, that we would realize that we're here to serve. We're here to serve you. We're here to be servants of others. We're not to think too highly of ourselves. But, Lord, we are to value others more than ourselves. I pray that you would help us physically. I pray that you'd help us spiritually. And I pray, Father, you would be Lord of our minds, Lord of our hearts, Lord of our speech, Lord of our actions, Lord of everything, that we may serve you. And there may be some here that need to be saved this morning. May this be the morning that they see the Savior who served them so well. The King of kings and Lord of lords died for them so that they might live. Help us, Lord, in all that we do and say. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. We will sing a wonderful hymn, There is a fountain, where where the blood of Jesus, His death, is what washes all of our sins away and gives us new life in Him. Maybe this is the morning that you need to say, Lord, I'm done trying to do it on my own. Uh, Save me this morning. I'd love to talk to you about that. Come forward and make the...